Hey everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the For the Future podcast. Today I speak to Ahmed Al-Hajj. He is a climate justice activist and climate negotiator from Tunisia. He is a part of various organizations such as the Break Free from Plastics movement, not to mention representing his country at the COP26 summit. He speaks honestly about his work and the work that needs to be done in the climate justice movement, the challenges he faced at COP26, and so much more. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so thank you so much, Ahmed, for taking the time to come on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, and thank you for doing all of this great and amazing job uh, and trying to raise the awareness, especially for the youth, and letting us, the youth, like tell our stories and inspire others. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so let's get straight into it. Could you explain to the audience a little bit more about who you are and what is your story? So, okay, uh, my name is Ahmed Al-Hajj and I'm 23 years old. I'm from Tunisia. Uh, I'm a climate activist. Like, uh, I've stud- I'm studying right now, pursuing a master degree in environmental engineering. I've already studied three years in environment protection uh, with a major in waste management. Uh, I am like a climate negotiator for my country. Uh, I've attended COP26 as a part of the official delegation of Tunisia. As well, I am uh, a member and uh, this is a general secretary of a movement called Youth for Climate Tunisia. It is the first youth-led movement in Tunisia that is uh, specialized in raising awareness about climate change, and we are working in like in several uh, areas to uh, save the, the environment and raise awareness about all the problems and all the issues that we are facing today: climate change, environment, animal abuse. We are working on that. Uh, as well, I'm a part of, I'm the ambassador of a movement called Brick Free From Plastic. It's an international movement where I'm the ambassador here in Tunisia where we do brand audits and to try, we do reports to see which are the big polluters in the world like Coca-Cola, like Nestle, like Pepsi. And we do reports and like we are working right now, I believe, in eight or, or seven countries, uh, especially uh, from the global south, like Philippines, like India, like Africa, like Ghana, I mean, like Nigeria, uh, Brazil as well. Uh, besides of that, I'm a campaign leader with Stop Ecocide Movement, which is a movement that is uh, working on uh, creating a law in every country that is uh, that criminalizes any uh, environmental uh, crime. That's what does mean ecocide. Uh, I've been chosen recently among 10 uh, climate activists who are African climate activists who are changing the face of the planet by Greenpeace. And well, that's a little introduction of myself. Yeah. Wow, that's quite, a, quite an incredible uh, collection of achievements and things that you're working on. It's really cool to hear. Thank you. Yeah. So, what inspired you to become a climate activist? Okay. To be honest, since I was a little kid, like I was fascinated by the environment and all. I was watching all the commentaries, you know, Planet Earth, uh, Sir David Attenborough, that voice, that tone. I loved watching documentaries. I grew up on that, like watching movies that talks about nature, that talks about animals, that talks about, uh, I don't know, even catastrophes. Like I liked that, to be honest. I liked that. I loved that since I was a little kid and I wanted to continue my higher superior studies doing something like studying about animal biology or vegetal biology something like this you know 
keeping the study on nature and the environment and everything. So uh, after like joining uh, the higher Institute of Biological Applied Sciences into of Tunis, where I studied uh, environment protection. Since my first year, like I started studying about climate change, I started studying about all the environmental uh, catastrophes and issues that we are seeing today. I wasn't really like aware about climate change. Yeah, I know that there was pollution, water pollution, air pollution, soil pollution, and all of that. But I wasn't aware of climate change. I wasn't aware of the impacts of climate change, like the fires, the death of animals, the rise of temperature, the sea level rise. Uh, uh, islands disappearing, people disappearing, uh, even like the water scarcity issue, like all of that, I wasn't really aware of it, unfortunately, like since I've started studying about it, I felt responsible, like something changed in me, I said, like, uh, and especially I knew that in Tunisia we are a country that, that is suffering from the from climate change, we are a country right now, we are among 33 countries that will be suffering from uh, water stress by 2040. That's scientists said. Also, scientists are saying that. Also, we are a country uh, that we uh, we are in the hot spot of climate change. The impacts of climate change are in the Mediterranean uh, area or Mediterranean region. Uh, as well, we are a country that is suffering from the rise of uh, for, from, from rise of temperature. Last year, I believe we we've hit the red record in Kairouan. Uh, by achieving, getting to 50.2 degrees Celsius, that's something unusual for us. Yeah, that was a record, to be honest, a bad record for sure. So I said, Ahmed, you gotta do something. Ahmed, you gotta speak for the Tunisians. Unfortunately, like, no one, like, was speaking about climate change in Tunisia and no one was given a lot of attention. I'm talking especially the youth, like experts, the Ministry of Environment, is People knew that climate change is here, they do have plans and everything. But for us, the youth, we are not demanding our rights. So I said, you gotta do something. I started like writing some articles like on Facebook and uh, on Medium, putting them there. Not a lot of people were reading them, but you know, after one year, I believe, from writing the articles, I was contacted by a, by a page. It was not large by the, by that time, a Facebook page called Fibelik. Uh, I say hi to all of them, by the way, if <laughs> they are watching. So I was contacted, like, to join the team to be uh, the on the Department of Environment where I'm writing articles. I'm like uh, putting like uh, updates and uh, on the page, like every day. We've reached, I believe, right now, 50k on Facebook. Sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> 50k on Facebook. So yeah, like I, I was doing that. After that, I've joined a movement called Youth for Climate Tunisia. And that actually was something I will not forget my whole life. Like uh, Rima Rahmani and Mohamed Jawedi, two high schoolers from Kairouan, the city that I've told you about that reached uh, the highest temperature. Like they created or co-founded Youth for Climate Tunisia. And by that time, I believe, like we were... By the time I joined them, we were so, so little, like, I believe seven or eight, maybe. They have made their first strike, and after that, second strike, where I joined the strike. The first strike, it was the first strike about climate change, demanding the right for climate justice and social justice, or demanding uh, that the government goes on and do a lot of things. Like, the government needs to take the responsibility, the governments need to guarantee the right 
for uh, a sustainable future, for a safe future, for future generations, also the right for a safe environment, and the constitution says that. So we've demanded, like, uh, simply our rights, our right to live. Uh, so yeah, like I joined Youth for Climate Tunisia, and the journey started from them. We started working on environmental education, we've started working, right now we're working on uh, declaring the climate emergency in Tunisia, we've started working on uh, animal abuse, like we started working on that. So yeah, all of these, like, circumstances and conditions, let's say, made me want to be a climate activist, because... I felt responsible. I'm not. I'm not responsible for uh, raising the emissions. I'm not responsible for melting the ice. I'm not responsible for killing the animals. But I feel responsible if I'm not doing anything. If I do know that Tunisia and all the continent of Africa and all the world will be suffering in few years, and I really mean it, few years. The IPCC reports are saying that few years will be suffering from catastrophes, wildfires, sea level rise, and I'm not doing anything. No, I feel responsible about that time. So yeah, I choose to be a climate activist because I believe that we are the Generation Z. We are the generation that we will be changing everything. Yeah, we are the generation that is capable and ob ob uh, that is the generation that needs to change everything. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I can see that you're in incredibly passionate about, about the climate crisis, as you should be, and as a lot of young people have have become especially in recent years as the as the climate um crisis movement has sort of grown so much like yeah. we need to be we need to be that's absolutely. that's why you are you are doing this podcast with me absolutely that's, that's why yeah so you you mentioned that you have spent you've spent a lot of time studying environmental science and now you're you're pursuing a master's in environmental engineering and um, as I mentioned before, the, the climate activist movement has grown a lot in recent years, and there tends to be a lot of focus on, on sort of striking and, and in that form of, of activism. So I wanted to find out for you, why did you think it was important for you to pursue uh, further education in, in, in environmental science and environmental engineering? And what role do you think people like with educations of that level like yourself what role do those people have to play in the climate movement? Uh, okay, that's really a good question. Like, I've told you, it was, to be honest, it was like, uh, I wanted to study about environment at first place. I, I didn't want to study about climate change and everything. I want to study biology. I want to study biology, means animal biology, vegetal biology, microbiology, etc. But I found myself after that between two choices. Either I, I continue to study biotechnology or environmental sciences. So... I choose environmental sciences because I found it like really passionate and it was really important for me. I like enjoyed studying it. I uh, was learning new things every day. So, so that's a good question actually. Uh, why did I pursue a master's degree in environmental engineering? After studying three years and uh, taking a major in waste management, like I believe in my final year project. You know, my final year project, I worked on something, uh, maybe it's the best thing I've did or worked in my entire life. I've worked on, the, on creating the first focaccia in Tunisia. What is a focaccia? It is, uh, it is a net, a special net called the Rachel Mesh. 
that is capable of catching fog and turn it into drinkable water after wow. the analysis I've made. Uh, the water turned out to be drinkable. So I've worked on that. And as I told you, a lot of people in Tunisia are suffering, like in Kairouan, in, uh, in Tela, in Gasrin, and in like, internal regions or rural areas where they are drinking from a whale till now, a, non, a polluted whale till now, where they are drinking also like uh, polluted water. And you know, every six seconds, a children is dead or die because of uh, polluted water, you know, of that. Uh, so yeah, I've worked on that, and if I didn't, if I didn't study environmental sciences or I didn't study environment protection at first place, I wouldn't be capable to work on that. I wouldn't even be capable to join climate movements, maybe. Uh, so, if like we want right now to stop climate change or to fight climate change, we need scientists. We need a new industrial revolution that is empowered by millions of sustainable inventions. We will all share in the benefits of these inventions. Who is going to make the inventions? going to be the scientists, the youth scientists that are studying right now, environmental engineering, or they are studying, I don't know, they are studying water engineering, or they are studying soil engineering, they are studying geology, they are studying like all these, uh, they are studying IT, or they are studying robo robotics, they are studying aeronautics, like all these things. We're going to, the youth going to take the lead. The youngsters gonna take the lead. The students are gonna take the lead in this domain. They are gonna be. We are gonna be the scientists of the future. So it is really important for uh, for like colleges, universities to open new branches, a new department to make the students uh, to like integrate environmental education or environmental sciences into colleges because. How could, could we fight climate change if we do not have the weapon to fight it? What is the weapon to fight climate change? It is science. Mm -hmm. It is science. Absolutely. Definitely it is science. Uh, in Europe or in the global north, I believe they do have like world-class universities where they are studying about climate change, about uh, sea level rise, about everything that is related to climate change, environment, biodiversity, animal biology, everything. In Africa or in the global south, Unfortunately, I believe we don't have that much of universities. We don't have that much of branches where uh, the student got to get gets uh, the students get to study all this sort of things. Even in primary schools, I believe. I don't know. Let me ask you a question right now. Do you have in your country like uh, environmental education since primary school? No, you know, I think I actually think you have a very good point. Not in particular. I think that maybe exactly. perhaps there is a little bit more emphasis on starting the conversations in schools now. But, you know, if I look back on my own experience from primary school, not really. I would say not enough at least. Exactly. Yeah. That's the same in Tunisia and that's the same in Africa and Asia. Yeah. Only like even even there, like even the the global north the developed country, they only started like integrating climate uh, and environmental education in primary schools. Like, how could we fight climate change if the youngsters, if the future generations don't know what is climate change? How could we do that? If you run out in the street right now and ask, like, ask someone, what do you know about climate change? Unfortunately, they won't know a lot. And that's a problem. We cannot face something if we don't know what is it. 
that's why it is really important for universities and for developed countries and developing countries to come together and to cooperate and to find new strategies, a new way to integrate environmental sciences into universities because scientists will be at the first lead to fight climate change. They will be the one to do sustainable uh, clean energy. They will be the one to clean the air. They will be the one to create machines that recapture carbon and turn it into and recapture emissions. They'll be the one to create like sustainable uh, materials for uh, the renewable energy platforms. They'll be the one to uh, I don't know to, to regenerate water and to, to to clarify the air. They'll be the one to do that. So that's why I see that is really it is an essential step to study environmental sciences or to study at least uh, all of its components, water, earth, all of these things. Yeah, that's actually such a such an interesting point that I didn't think about before. And especially as you mentioned the the let's say the global south, even though we're not the the we're the smallest contributors to the climate crisis, we're also going to be the ones that are greatest affected. And just having people understanding that and having people in, in Africa and Asia and, and, and South America and so forth, having an understanding of, a deeper understanding of how to f- solve these issues is, is incredibly important. And I, n- I never thought about it like that. It is really important. And, and I believe like we're going to achieve it in a way or another. Yeah. And hopefully by, uh, by like a near time. We don't have enough time like to continue, I don't know, just talking. Right now we need to walk the talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. What, what, what a brilliant answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Um, so, you, you mentioned before that, you know, you've represented uh, Tunisia at COP26 and you've, had, you've played quite a large role in, in, in large organizations. And, um, you know, I thought that that, that that must be quite daunting, especially for, for, for such a young person. So, I wanted to find out how did you... How do you how do you deal with that? Well, uh, it was actually my first participation at a COP, at a conference of parties. Let me let me explain for the people that are not familiar with the word COP. So a COP is a conference. We call it the conference of parties. It is uh, an international or a global summit where all the countries comes together to find solutions for the climate crisis. They meet every year in a different country in a different continent. Uh, last year it was in Glasgow, UK. This year, uh, COP27 will be in Sharm Sheikh, Egypt. And where all the countries come together, like for us, the uh, developing countries, we are searching for finance and we are searching money to do adaptation and mitigation projects for them. They are trying to negotiate with us to see how they could pay less. Well, uh, that's that's the process. That's what a COP and that's what we are working on. And it's a lot of things to discuss in a COP, like capacity building, finance, uh, let me remember loss and damage, adaptation, mitigation, the carbon, uh, the carbon market, and the list is still long. So it was the first participation for me at a COP. Uh, I wanna let me talk about the group, like how I made it to a COP. Like uh, a boy my age, 22, I was 22 years old. How I made it into a COP and how was uh, how uh, I was an official, like let me say, delegate or uh, an official negotiator where I presented, represented my country, Tunisia, where I spoke by the name of Tunisia over there. So I want to thank here the one who gave us the chance 
to be honest, like Mr. Mohamed Zmerli, which is the UNIF C focal point of Tunisia. Uh, he wanted to start a group to create a group of young negotiators, uh, a group of young climate negotiators. So like with the cooperation of GEZ, the German cooperation in Tunisia and the Ministry of Environment, like we have applied, I believe a lot of youth applied, 15 were selected, I was among them. So yeah, uh, we had a long series of trainings. A long series of training, I believe, with an expert, a French one called Mathieu Vinimer. I want to thank him as well for giving us a lot of knowledge. I've learned a lot of him. I'm still learning from him for sure. So, uh, we were 15 studying, I believe, all nights, like until late hours about negotiations, the process, the Paris Agreement, the Kyoto Protocol, the different, like I, I told you, the different aspects of negotiations, capacity building, etc., etc., etc. So, our first goal as a first participation was to support the Tunisian delegation uh, because we speak English, uh, but the Tunisian delegation, like the majority, were francophone. They speak French. So we were there to support the Tunisian delegation. But after the uh, trainings, the long trainings, and we, uh, we, get, like, we got out some uh, additional, let me say, additional efforts to be present, uh, the focal point and the, 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 the experts saw that we were ready to take the lead. We were ready to, to represent Tunisia. So we went there, not as a, as, a, as a support for the delegation, no, as a part of the Tunisian delegation. We went there, everyone like from, uh, we, we were 11 to be at the, 11? Yes, 11. We were 11 uh, who attended physically the, the COP26. And the four of us, like, uh, attended uh, virtually the COP, the Conference of Parties. Like, I've went there to the COP, I uh, was following the thematic of capacity building, which is an important thematic where I demand the right for my country to gain more experience and more technical, uh, technical experience in terms of climate change. That's what is capacity building for the youth, for the experts, for the teachers, for the, for the politicians as well. Like, how could we... Uh, uh, let me say, strengthen uh, our uh, capacity to fight climate change. What are the ways and how could we learn from the, the old experiences or, or from the, the good practices that countries have, have already uh, made? So yeah, it was my first participation at a cup, to be honest. I've expected more from a cup, because from this cup especially, the cup 26, because as you know, uh, the COP was delayed one year because of COVID and the IPCC report uh, was, uh, was out. I mean, before a short period where a lot of, it was a red coat for humanity, as you know. The IPCC report like, mentioned a lot of things that's going to happen. You know, we are uh, contributing by 80 or 90 percent to climate change and we got a small, a short period to stop it and etc. etc. So uh, a lot of pressure was on, was on that cap and I believed we're going to achieve something great, you know. But it turned out it's not that easy at a cop to uh, to negotiate and to take your right from the developed uh, countries. It's not easy at all. Like you're in a in a in a closed room where I believe uh, a lot of countries are there and groups as well because we are working as groups, African group, like Europe, uh, American group, small islands, etc., etc. So, like. We were there uh, talking and negotiating. Some countries are refusing to give more. Some countries are refusing this and that, this and that. And we cannot uh, like 
we cannot uh, let me say we cannot get to to an agreement without every country saying yes if one country just one country no matter how big or small it is says no we cannot achieve an agreement and that's what happened to be honest it wasn't a good yeah we had achieved some great things at cop 26 the pledge to reduce methane the pledge to reduce to to phase down it was phasing out but the last minute drama we called at a cop china india and the us they said we're going to phase down from coal the new strategy the new technologies pledge the pledge for to cut deforestation all of these things but unfortunately like we are still talking about 100 million us dollars for all the countries to help them fight climate change and that's not even close yeah. to the real to the real number that should be given to fight climate change that's not even close unfortunately i was expecting more but as a first participation i've learned a lot and hopefully when i go there for the second participation i'm going to do more and i believe youth should be participating more at the car at the cops and the global summits because they are the other ones who will be impacted they are the ones who will be suffering in the future so we need to raise our voice we need to say no we need to negotiate we need to learn how to 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 steal our right how to demand our right properly from there because they are still in our future and we don't have enough time yeah absolutely no i i agree with you yeah so you we we mentioned a little bit earlier about how the education on on climate change is lacking and it's 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 quite it's quite a big issue and i just wanted to to ask you know let's say i have a friend or someone who doesn't know much about about climate change who might be interested or or, or on the fence um do you have any sort of resources like books or or shows or podcasts or that that kind of thing that you think would be worthwhile to encourage them to care about climate change. Okay. Like uh to not make like I have millions of books and documentaries and movies and in my mind, but for sure I'll write you after that a doc where you could share it with the audience and they could like find my favorite resources, but I'm going to give you like two books, two documentaries, maybe two movies uh for for the the audience and for the amazing people who are watching us and trying to learn more about climate change to watch or to 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 to, to read so i'm going to start by the books i recommend uh the book of algor and inconvenient truth that's the first book the second book the future we choose i i really do recommend those two books okay and a convenient truth it talks about climate change the science behind it and a prediction of the future it was released in 2000 by 2006 by Al Gore that was the vice president of the US uh, a long time ago and the second book is uh, the future we choose which talks about hope talks about the work of youth uh, it is one of my best books uh, a documentary two documentaries right now let me let me share them with you so the first documentary would be as i told you i'm a fan i'm a huge fan of sir david attenborough so the first documentary is going to be planet earth there are two uh, series like planet earth 1 and planet earth 2 watch them both and the second one well let me think that's a tricky question i have a lot of documentaries i'm going to choose just one okay the second one 
I recommend is going to be the well let's say Before the Flood by Leonardo DiCaprio I really recommend that like it shows uh, a lot of aspects and how the politicians are dealing with the climate crisis and how the community, the civil society are doing that and it's uh, was like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was there, I'm a huge fan as well, so I recommend that. Uh, and for sure, I'll, I'll write you a list uh, for you, like, and for the audience, where I could, I'll put 10, 10, 10, okay? Where, like, you could share them, share, share, share with them, okay? I have some documentaries in mind as well, the, uh, the Plastic Paradise, uh, Cowspiracy or Seaspiracy, I love these documentaries as well. Uh, I'll recommend them to watch and few books as well. I'll write them for you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think the You're audience welcome. will definitely appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. So we're kind of almost wrapping up, and I just wanted to 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 find out what is it that you're currently working on, and um, where can people find you and and support you in the work that you're doing. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna start locally and uh, and go. Uh, I'll be speaking after that globally. So locally, as I told you, I'm the general secretary of the first and maybe the one first youth-led movement that is uh, concerned and is working on uh, raising awareness about climate change, uh, which is Youth for Climate Tunisia. Youth for Climate Tunisia. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we are working on a website now. Just a few time, and I'll share it with you. Uh, like. As I told you, we work in environmental education. We have made already a video about environmental education with a famous actress that I would like to thank so much. It's called Hinsa which is an Arabic and Tunisian uh, actress. She's so, so famous in the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa. Uh, I would like to thank her because she contributed uh, in the making of this video because it reached a lot of people, millions of views it gets and after the video an association called the Tunisian uh, Environmental Law Association signed an agreement with the Ministry of Education to uh, integrate climate education, environmental education let's say into the Tunisian curriculum but till now nothing, not much has happened unfortunately that's, a, that's the thing I hate about signing papers it's easy to sign papers, but it's hard to uh, to apply what have you signed. And we are working currently on making off of a documentary in Tunisia, which is a documentary that's going to talk about three aspects. It's going to talk about the water scarcity. Uh, for sure, it's going to mention the rise of temperatures. We're going to shoot it in Kairawan, the city that I told you about. Uh, as well, we are going to talk about... Uh, the sea level rise because we have an island or an archipel called Karkana, an historical one, so beautiful, uh, like it contains the history of our country, the history of our sisters in Tunisia that could be, uh, that could get underwater, disappear in a few years, like by 2030, like, like Karkana could be disappeared because of sea level rise and the country or the, the, the government's not doing much about it, unfortunately. As well, we are going to shoot in Gebis. Gebis is a, is a coastal area that is suffering since 1972 because uh, of the government as well. Since uh, that, the government has built or has fixed or installed uh, what we call a chemical group that is producing chemicals uh, like ammoniac, phosphogyps and everything. Since that, Gebs, like was destroyed, to be honest. 
Until now, the people are suffering from the gases of ammoniac, of the phosphor ships that they are throwing in the sea. Uh, I believe they have thrown the maximum of 16,000 tons a day in the sea of Gabes, and that's a crime. People there are suffering from lung cancers, uh, cancer, uh, lung cancer, are suffering from skin cancer, from brain cancer, are suffering from a lot of cancers, actually, and from rare diseases that we don't even know till now, and the government haven't even moved on, like, people died because of an explosion, I believe, last two years, in Gabus as well, uh, we decided to work on the making of documentary, we are still trying to find some resources to help us doing, uh, to do a job that could touch the people, touch the government, touch the politicians, touch the youth as well. Uh, also, we are talk, we are working on uh, climate emergency, the declaration of climate emergency in Tunisia. As I told you, we're a country that is severely impacted by climate change, so we got to do something by declaring climate emergency. The government will, uh, will like, officially uh, says that climate change is real and it's affecting Tunisia and it's affecting our economy and everything. So that's a really important step towards solving the crisis in Tunisia. Uh, globally, we are working on reducing plastic with brick-free from plastic. We are doing brand audits. So I really do uh, ask, I want to ask like all the youth that they are uh, interested and they do have a lot of plastic they are suffering from in the areas of the countries to participate with us. You could find us on our website, brick-free from plastic, BFFP. On Stop Ecocide, they could join the movement to uh, demand their governments to do a law about ecocide, which is a law that criminalizes every uh, environmental crime. So that's what we are working on right now. Oh, that's incredible. And I think that uh, if there's anyone in the audience that's interested in, in those ventures, I think their support would also be very much appreciated. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, lastly, before before we end off, I wanted to ask you a question that I ask every every guest on the podcast, and that is, if you knew that every young African person on the continent was listening to this podcast right now, what would you want to say to them? Actually, I want to talk about optimism. You know, like that's that's the only thing that is keeping me. Uh, a life that is keeping me contribute to the climate uh, crisis, that keeping me like act and say no to all of these bad things that are happening. Like optimism empowers you, it drives you, it drives your desire to engage, to contribute, to make a difference. It makes you jump out of bed in the morning because you feel challenged and hopeful at the same time. It calls you to that which is emerging and makes you want to be an active part of change. Uh, hope is an axe you can break down doors with in an emergency like hope should shove you out the door because it will take everything you have to steer the future away from endless war from the annihilation of the earth's treasures and the grinding down of the poor and uh, and marginal like to hope is to give yourself to the future and that commitment to the future makes the present inhabitable you know and let's say in other words optimism is the force that enables you to create a new reality optimism is not the result of achieving a task uh, or doing something we have set for ourselves that's a that is celebration we are talking about optimism is the necessary input to meeting a challenge optimism is about having 
steadfast confidence in our ability to solve big challenges, challenges like climate change, like the things that we are living right now. It is about making the choice to, to, to work to make the current reality better, to make our future uh, safe and sustainable. Optimism is about actively pr proving through every decision and every action that we are capable of uh, designing a better future. Like, let me give you an example here. It is, I know it is hard what we are saying, like, like the fire right now are from Australia to Alaska, from the Antarctic to, to Russia. We are witnessing maybe the end of the world as we know it. Our world is on a, on a cliff. It's on a, like, maybe centimeters away from the catastrophe, the big one. The collapse, the hit of climate change, the final hit. But, but I believe that hope, hope, you know, hope is that little line that we hold into it. We hold the heart into it. And we hold, like, let me say, with love because it could get get out of our hands in a in a in a second you know so let me give you an example here about hope from from the darkness of an alabama jail like martin luther king jr kept calling for the realization of a deeply held dream no matter how bleak it perspects and how dark it seems many other have done the same throughout history john f kennedy refusing to accept that nuclear wars War was inevitable. Gandhi marching to the ocean to collect forbidden salt. Like, in all these cases, key people believed that a better future was possible. And they were willing to fight for it. They, are, they were willing to die for the ideas. Die for a better future. Die to save humanity. Die for future generations that we don't even know. Die because we want humanity to keep on moving. It's not our planet alone. It's the planet of vegetables, plants, it's the planet of animals, it's the planet of microorganisms. We need to understand that. We all share in the benefits. We all share the same planet. We all share the same losses as well and the same damages. So we need really to be aware of that. So as I told you, like in all these cases, key people believed in a better world was possible and they were willing to fight for it. They didn't ignore how difficult evidence or present things in a way that wasn't true. Instead, they faced the reality with a freeze belief that change could happen, however impossible it might have seemed at the moment. So my message and my final message to the youth that they are listening right now, we gotta get together. We gotta get together to face climate change, to face climate change. I cannot do it alone, and you cannot do it alone. Enough of working alone. Let's see all of these countries, like when they worked alone, to, to, to like working alone and getting money and ignored climate change. You are seeing the conclusion now. You are seeing the reality. You are seeing where the selfishness of the countries and of the people and of our leaders, the politicians, have got us to. You are seeing that. So we need to work in, into uh, multilateralism. That means working together is the key. Activists, scientists, uh, act, uh, like uh, let's say singers, actress and actor, actor and actress, all of these people, like every part of the society needs to work together to contribute to facing climate change. And believe in yourself, believe in your idea, 
Believe that the change is possible. Believe that making the change, it is difficult. It's going to be harder than, you even, harder than you think of it. It's going to be sometimes going to seem impossible to do that. It's like the, like, it's like the Marvel movies, you know? When uh, the good people like Iron Man, Batman, faces like the villains. It seems always impossible for them to win. But finally, they find a way. That says our destiny. We're going to find a way together. We're going to solve the climate crisis. That's why they call us the Generation Z. Because we make things happen fast. We are smart. We have the solutions. We need just to talk. We need to raise our voices. We need to take the lead. We need to go together right now. Our solidarity is our strength. Thank you so much. What an incredible way to end it off. And thank you so much, Ahmed, again for taking the time to share your your insights, your experience, and your perspective. We really appreciate it, and I uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me, and keep doing this, because you are really making the change right now. You are really giving us the chance to talk. You are giving me the chance to, to, to express my opinions, to express my ideas. You are giving me the chance to talk to activists. You are giving me the chance to talk to youth, the generation of the future. Thank you for what are you doing. Thank you for making the change and believing in the change, especially. Thank you. It is a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I really hope that you enjoyed it and that it brought you tremendous value. If it did, please leave a rating for the podcast on whatever platform you use. Like, share, comment, subscribe and follow us on social media at ForTheFutureZA. I would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast episode. Thank you so much and have a good one.